Welcome to an in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah, written by Imre Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 1. The Prophetic Calling of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. We know more about the life of Jeremiah than we do about any other Old Testament prophet. The biographical facts in his book help us understand better his work as a prophet. Jeremiah had such an effect on history that even at the time of Jesus, he was a revered prophetic figure. At the same time, the prophet's work, judged by human standards, shows only slight success. Despite decades of fervent warning and pleadings, the people for the most part didn't listen to the messages he gave them from the Lord. Nevertheless, despite the opposition, Jeremiah could not be bought or sold. He stood as a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall, Jeremiah 1 verse 18, not in his own strength, but in the Lord's. Jeremiah's lot in life wasn't a happy one in many ways. His calling brought him suffering, woe, rejection, even imprisonment. Worse still was the fact that so many of these troubles came from the very ones whom he was seeking to help, seeking to point in the right direction. So in his own way, Jeremiah prefigured what Jesus himself would face hundreds of years later in the same land. Prophets. The prophets, according to their calling, were determined protectors of God's law. They stood on the ground of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Hear the words of this covenant, or solemn pledge, and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant or solemn pledge, which I commanded your fathers at the time that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do according to all that I command you. So will you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I swore to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then I answered, Amen. So be it, O Lord. And the Lord said to me, 
Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant or solemn pledge and do them. Micah chapter 3 and verse 8 gives one summary of the prophet's work, which was to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And Romans chapter 7 verse 7 reveals the concept of sin, of course, is meaningless apart from the law. What then do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. For instance, I would not have known about covetousness, would have had no consciousness of sin or sense of guilt. If the law had not repeatedly said, you shall not covet and have an evil desire for one thing and another. What was the prophet's message to the people? In what ways is that message the same to us today? Let's consider three Old Testament scriptures and one from the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Jeremiah 7 verses 5 through 7. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly and truly execute justice between every man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the transient and the alien, the fatherless and the widow, or shed innocent blood by oppression and by judicial murders in Jerusalem, or go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers to dwell in forever. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly and truly execute justice between every man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the transient and the alien, the fatherless and the widow, or shed innocent blood by oppression and by judicial murders in Jerusalem, or go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers to dwell in forever." Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord? And not rather that he should turn from his evil way and return to his God and live? And Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee and escape from the wrath and indignation of God against disobedience that is coming? Bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance. Let your lives prove your change of heart. 
And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our forefather. For I tell you, God is able to raise up descendants for Abraham from these stones. And already the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you in and with water because of repentance, that is, because of your changing your minds for the better, heartily amending your ways with abhorrence of your past sins. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy or fit to take off or carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God's judgment was not inevitable, but it would come if the people did not turn from their evil ways. Change, however, is not so easy, especially when people get accustomed to doing evil. Who hasn't seen how people get used to the evil that at one time had appalled them? The message of the prophets was to let people see just how bad their evil was and what the consequences were of not turning away from it. This message, of course, wasn't the prophets. It was the Lord's. The prophets do not mention how God's word was revealed to them or how they heard it. At times, God spoke to them directly. Other times, the Holy Spirit touched them in dreams or visions or perhaps through a still, small voice. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 12 reports that was prophet Elijah's encounter with God. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle stillness and a still, small voice. However their messages came to them, the prophets had a mission, not only to transmit God's will to the common people, but also, if need be, to deliver it before kings, emperors, and generals. This task involved great responsibility. If they told the truth, these powerful people could kill them, but... If they did not represent the truth, God's judgment could also come upon them. To be a prophet is a heavy calling, and from what we can tell from the Bible, those who were given that call took it seriously. We can be glad they did, for their messages have come down to us in the Bible. In that sense, their words still speak, even today. The question now, as in Jeremiah's time, is the same. Will we listen? What are the prophets, even after all this time, still telling us? At the core, what is their basic message to God's people? Jeremiah's Family Background 
First Kings chapter 1 and First Kings 2 verse 26 reveal the background story of what led to the exile of Abiathar to his home in Anathoth. First Kings chapter 1 Listen for the name of Abiathar. What was his role in this drama? And King David was old and advanced in years. They covered him with bedclothes, but he could not get warm. So his servants, the physician, said to him, Let there be sought for my lord, the king, a young virgin, and let her wait on and be useful to the king. Let her lie in your bosom, that my lord, the king, may get warm. So they sought a fair maiden through all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The maiden was beautiful, and she waited on and nursed him, but the king had no intercourse with her. Then Adonijah, son of David's wife, Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I, the eldest living son, will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with fifty men to run before him. David's father had never in his life displeased him by asking, Why have you done so? He was also a very attractive man and was born after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, David's half-sister, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and David's mighty men did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatlings by the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside the wall in Erogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But Nathan the prophet Benaiah, the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he did not invite. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, reigns, and David our Lord does not know it? Come now. Let me advise you how to save your own life and your son Solomon's. Go to King David and say, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? Why then does Adonijah reign? Behold, while you are still talking there, with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old and feeble, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering to him. Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance to the king. The king said, What do you wish? 
And she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall reign after me and sit upon my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is reigning, and my Lord the king, you do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he did not invite Solomon your servant. Now, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after you. Otherwise, when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, I and my son Solomon shall be counted as offenders. While she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. The king was told, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came before the king, he bowed himself before him with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me? and he shall sit on my throne? He has gone this day and sacrificed oxen, fatlings, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the captains of the host, and Abiathar the priest, and they eat and drink before him, and say, Long live King Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Is this done by my lord the king, and you have not shown your servants who shall succeed my lord the king? Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence and stood before him. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and did obeisance to the king and said, let my Lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The king told them, Take the servants of your Lord and call Solomon my son to ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon in the Kidron Valley. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you will come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my stead. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, 
say so too. As the Lord had been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, the king's bodyguards, went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! All the people followed him. They played on pipes and rejoiced greatly, so that the earth resounded with the joyful sound. And Adonijah and all the guests with him heard it as they finished feasting. When Joab heard the trumpet sound, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a trustworthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan replied, Adonijah, truly our lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they have come up from their rejoicing, so the city resounds. This is the noise you heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servant came to congratulate our lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted me to see one of my offspring sitting on my throne this day. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid, and rose up, and went every man his way. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon, and arose and went to the tabernacle tent on Mount Zion, and caught hold of the horns of the altar as a fugitive's refuge. And they was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for behold, he has caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not slay his servant with the sword. Solomon said, If he will show himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of him shall fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought Adonijah down from the altar in front of the tabernacle. He came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 26 tells us what happened to Abiathar after Adonijah's reign was thwarted. And to Abiathar the priest, Solomon the king said, Get to Anathoth to your own estate, for you deserve death, but I will not put you to death now, because you bore the ark of the Lord God 
before my father David and were afflicted in all my father endured. After he strengthened his throne, Solomon, in a conflict with Adonijah over succession, removed Abiathar the priest from his office and sent him into exile back to his hometown, Anathoth, believed to be about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. Hilkiah, Jeremiah's father, was a member of a priestly family that lived at Anathoth. Some have speculated that Jeremiah's family may have descended from Abiathar. Either way, we know from Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1 that the prophet had an exalted lineage. Thus we can conclude that all through prophetic history, the Lord has called all types of people. Shepherds, rabbis, fishermen, and priests to the prophetic office. A member of the Levitical priesthood, Jeremiah had been trained from childhood for holy service. In those happy years of preparation, he little realized that he had been ordained from birth to be a prophet unto the nations. And when the divine call came, he was overwhelmed with a sense of his unworthiness. Ah, Lord God, he exclaimed, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Jeremiah 1, verses 5 and 6. Another insight from Ellen G. White on page 407 in her book, Prophets and Kings. The priests were to be the moral and spiritual leaders of the nation. They had been given important roles that impacted most every area of the nation's spiritual life. Some had been faithful to that task. Others abused and violated it in ways that we can't imagine. As we will soon read in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet had very strong words to speak against these unfaithful priests who had proved unworthy of the responsibilities and calling that they had been entrusted with. What are your spiritual responsibilities, whether at home or in the church or both or anywhere else? If a prophet were to speak to you now, about these responsibilities, what might he or she say? Would it be affirmation or admonition? Prophetic Calling of Jeremiah Let's listen to how Jeremiah describes his experience of being called. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, how would you describe Jeremiah's calling? The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, two or three miles north of Jerusalem. 
to whom the word of the Lord came the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem into captivity in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Let's compare Jeremiah's experience with the scripture verses in the New Testament in which the Apostle Paul describes his experience being called by God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. From Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, called to be an apostle, a special messenger, set apart to preach the gospel, the good news, of and from God. And Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle, special messenger appointed and commissioned and sent out, not from anybody of men, nor by or through any man, but by and through Jesus Christ the Messiah and God the Father, who raised him from among the dead. Just like other prophets in the Old Testament, and like Paul in the New, Jeremiah didn't waffle in regard to who called him. He was very clear in these verses, and in fact all through the book of Jeremiah, that what he was speaking was the word of the Lord, which had come to him. No doubt this fervent conviction is what enabled him to press on ahead despite fervent opposition and toil, suffering and trials. Jeremiah's calling happened in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, dated to about 627-626 B.C. We do not know the exact year when the prophet was born or the exact age he began his ministry. In his mind, though, as we will see, he deemed himself a child, someone too young for the task given him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. What assurance and comfort could Jeremiah hear in these words? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet before his birth. God set him aside from the moment of his conception for this prophetic role. The words translated, I sanctified you, verse 5, come from a verb that means to be hallowed, to be holy, and to sanctify, among other things. It definitely has a sacred and religious connotation to it, one tied also with the sanctuary service itself. 
Indeed, the word for sanctuary means or comes from the same root word. The idea contained in it is that something or someone is set apart for a holy purpose. This is what God had planned for Jeremiah. Even before his birth, these texts don't teach pre-existence or predestination. They teach instead God's foreknowledge. God knows the end from the beginning. Friend, we can experience his comfort during the trials that we inevitably face. Reluctant Prophets Despite the Lord's assurance that Jeremiah had been divinely chosen for this task, the young man was frightened and didn't feel up to it. Perhaps knowing the spiritual state of people at the time, which wasn't good, and knowing what needed to be done, Jeremiah didn't want the job. Let's compare three Old Testament scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 6, with Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, and Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. What common points do all these incidents have? Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am only a youth. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone and ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. And Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I'm not eloquent or a man of words, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and have a heavy and awkward tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing, or the blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what you shall say. And he said, O my Lord, I pray you, send by the hand of some other whom you will send. Then the anger of the Lord blazed against Moses. He said, Is there not Aaron your brother? The Levite, I know he can speak well. Also, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be overjoyed. You must speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth 
and will teach you what you shall do. None of those men, for whatever reasons, felt up to the task. Perhaps that was a crucial prerequisite for the job of a prophet, a sense of one's own unworthiness and inability for such a crucial and important task. A spokesman for the Creator? No wonder they all shrank from the task, at least at first. Notice Jeremiah's first response after being called. He immediately talked about his inability to speak well, as did Moses. Isaiah, too, in his response, made mention of his mouth, his lips. In all cases, they knew that whatever else their calling involved, it would involve speaking and communication. They were going to get messages from God and, as such, would be responsible for proclaiming those messages to others. Unlike today, where they could build a website or send a text message, this communication would so often have to be face-to-face. Imagine having to stand before hostile leaders or unruly people and give them sharp words of rebuke and warning. The reluctance of these soon-to-be prophets is understandable. As you listen to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, answer these questions. What is God's response to Jeremiah? Why does that response hold some hope and promise for you? in whatever you believe that you have been called by God to do. Okay, here is Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 from the Amplified Bible. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am only a youth, for you shall go to all whom I shall send you, and whatever I command, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day appointed you to the oversight of the nations and of the kingdoms, to root out and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Listening friend, the promise for you today is Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 8 from the New Living Translation. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord have spoken. The Almond Branch The prophet is God's witness. His job is to speak not for himself, but for God alone. 
Jeremiah wasn't called to find solutions to the problems of the nation or to become a great personality or charismatic leader whom the people would follow. Jeremiah had the singular mission to transmit the words of God to the people and their leaders. The emphasis here is not on the human or on human potential. It is on God's sovereignty and power alone. The prophet was to point the people to the Lord, in whom alone was the solution to all their problems. Of course, it is no different for us today. Let's listen to Jeremiah describe his first vision in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. What was it about? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch or shoot of an almond tree, the emblem of alertness and activity, blossoming in late winter. Then said the Lord to me, You have seen well, for I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and the face of it is tipped away from the north, its mouth about to pour forth on the south, on Judea. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil which the prophets had foretold as a result of national sin shall disclose itself and break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I will call all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they will come and set everyone his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls round about, and against all the cities of Judah, as God's judicial act, a consequence of Judah's wickedness. And I will utter my judgments against them for all the wickedness of those who have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands, idols. But you, Jeremiah, gird up your loins, arise, and tell them all that I command you, do not be dismayed and break down at the sight of their faces, lest I confound you before them and permit you to be overcome. For I, behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the successive kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land, giving you divine strength, which no hostile power can overcome. And they shall fight against you, but they shall not finally prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Most Bible translations translate the Hebrew expression in verse 11 as the branch of an almond tree. These translations, however, miss the Hebrew play on words here. 
the word translated almond tree has the same root as the verb to keep watch, which appears in verse 12, when the Lord says that he is going to keep watch over his word to fulfill it. One could argue that the central message of the entire book of Jeremiah is found in verses 11 and 12. God's word will be fulfilled. One day, everyone will see events happen just as God said they would. God wants his people to turn away from their sins. He has offered grace and forgiveness, but he does not force anyone to obey and be healed. If his people will not respond to him, his words of judgment and punishment will eventually be fulfilled as his words against Israel were fulfilled in the book of Jeremiah. As we can see, too, God's words here were not just for the people. The Lord was speaking directly to Jeremiah himself, warning him to be prepared for the opposition that he would face. No matter what happened, Jeremiah could have the assurance from God that I am with you. He would, as we will see, need it. Don't we all? And we hear Jesus' promise quoted from Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, as he reminds and assures his disciples, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion to the very close and consummation of this age. What assurance can you find for yourself in Jesus' words to us, living in the time that we do? exploring. Martin Luther wrote about the prophet in the introduction of his commentary to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a sad prophet who lived in a deplorable and difficult period, and what is more, his prophetic service was extremely difficult as he was struggling and fighting with a bad-tempered and stubborn people. Apparently, he did not achieve much success because he experienced how his enemies became more and more evil. They tried to kill the prophet several times. They pressed hard against him, whipping him several times. Yet, he would live to see with his own eyes how his country was devastated and his people taken into exile. For 40 years, Jeremiah was to stand before the nation as a witness for truth and righteousness. 
In a time of unparalleled apostasy, he was to exemplify in life and character the worship of the only true God. During the terrible sieges of Jerusalem, he was to be the mouthpiece of Jehovah. He was to predict the downfall of the house of David and the destruction of the beautiful temple built by Solomon. And when imprisoned because of his fearless utterances, he was still to speak plainly against sin in high places, despised, hated, rejected of men. He was finally to witness the literal fulfillment of his own prophecies of impending doom and share in the sorrow and woe that should follow the destruction of the fated city. That portrayal of Jeremiah is from page 408 of the book entitled Prophets and Kings, written by Ellen G. White. Here are a few thoughts to consider and contemplate. One of the saddest things, and yet something that should give us all today as Seventh-day Adventists something to think about, is the fact that God had warned Jeremiah that he would face great opposition from his own people. Let's consider Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 19 again, this time from the New Living Translation. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you strong, like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. You will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail, for I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Who would be the ones fighting against Jeremiah? What fearful lesson do you take away from this for yourself? That is, what is our attitude toward the prophetic word to us, especially when we hear things that we don't like? How does the Ellen G. White quote that we heard a few minutes ago help express the fearful truth that the very ones who should have been revealing the true God to the world were the ones who were, by reviling and attacking his spokesmen, fighting against God? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 in the New Living Translation reminds us, History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Ambassadorgroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.